Welcome to Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Emma Ajimang, Personal Finance Writer to Investors Chronicle, and Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Chelsea Financial Services. A decade of low interest rates and inflation, coupled with increased regulation following the financial crisis, has restricted the profit margins of financial services companies. But more recently, the share prices of these have been bouncing back. U.S. banking stocks, for example, have reached their highest level since the financial crisis. Emma, you've been looking at this. Why are they bouncing back? Firstly, growth has picked up around the world, and that's boosted stocks, including financial companies. Secondly, in the U.S., interest rates have risen, and this benefits banks as they can price the loans at higher rates and therefore earn higher returns. And also in the U.S., financials should benefit from President Trump's corporation tax cuts, as the tax that corporations will have to pay has now fallen from 35% to 21%. Okay, but is it just US banks that have a better outlook? No, I don't think it is. After years of being totally shunned by investors, the European banking sector is also starting to attract more interest. And that's because Europe's economic outlook has improved and the increase in economic demand should benefit lenders. Okay, so um, an all-around improvement, does that mean financials are a good area to invest in? It's certainly an interesting area, but as always, there's risk to consider. Um, Some analysts feel that financials, particularly US financials, are already priced in all the benefits of tax cuts and interest rate rises. So there could not be as much upside as expected. And also, if we were to get an unexpected economic downturn, banks would be most exposed as they lend to all sectors in the economy. OK, um, there's always risks to bear in mind, though. So if you are an investor who's happy to take those risks, how could you get exposure to financials? One of the best performing funds in this area is Aptus Global Financials, managed by Johnny Dillahay. It invests in companies like banks, insurers and asset managers, and it has a yield of around 4.5%. Over five years, it's had very good returns of 107%, and it's available for charge of 1.28%. Okay, so a single sector fund, which is obviously higher risk. What about investors who want some of that potential upside from financials, but don't want the risk of a single sector fund? Another good example of a fund that has that broader exposure is Artemis Global Income. But the thing about this fund is that it does have a fair amount in financials, about 40% at the moment. It's also made very good returns over five years of 108% and has a yield of 3.5%. And its ongoing charge is 0.8%. Darius, what's your view on all of this? Do you think the shares of financial companies and the funds which invest in them are a good place to invest at the moment? Yeah, and I think Emma's already touched on the banking side of financials, but we do need to remember that the financial sector is considerably broader than that. There are, of course, asset management businesses, um, which will have been benefiting from the rise in stock market prices. There are payments, stocks and shares, things like Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, their financials. There are global insurance and reinsurance businesses and things like exchanges as well. So it is actually, whilst being a single sector, it is actually quite broad, but still geared to the well-being of the economy and uh, stock markets. Okay, and um, what funds would you use to get exposure to um, all these various financials? Yeah, I actually... Not super familiar with the Optus one that, that Emma mentioned, but I do actually know the manager, um, and he is a high-quality manager, although not mainstream. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be mm-hmm. of interest. 
a mainstream fund which I think some of your listeners will have heard of is Jupiter Financial Opportunities, which is run by Guy de Blunet. He's run financial funds uh, for over 15 years now, and long-term track record is very good. Other ways of playing financials uh, are via financials debt. So there are a fund called Gamstar Credit Opportunities, which is sort of over 70% invested in, in, in banking debt uh, with a really handsome yield. It's actually its performance in the strategic bond sector um, is exceptional. Then there are other sort of broader funds, things like Rathbone Ethical Bond has a high weighting to financials. Um, and you know there are many other global funds. Emma's highlighted the Artemis one. Also, in her article, she talks about might and U.S. opportunities. A fund manager I met with Hugh Greaves last week, and you know they're they're quite bullish on that sector as well. Okay, so um, some interesting ways to get exposure. Um, but what are your concerns in the area? Well, I think a concern broadly for equity markets is the potentially the underpricing of risk with respect to inflation. U.S. rate are rising rates now and are. are priced in for three further rate rises but you know employment is pretty full in the u.s um this could lead to wage rises uh, there's the example of walmart having given their staff rises and once you start getting inflation in wages you can see inflation potentially pick up into the system now, i'm not saying i specifically predict that but i think it's the sort of the thing to be wary of because then what you would see is rates rising faster to try and put a break on the growth in the economy and that as Emma again mentioned earlier would be less and beneficial for financials because of their cyclicality and the fact that they lend money to various sectors. Thank you Darius some really pertinent points there to bear in mind as well. Now another area associated with growth is UK smaller companies and a fund which has done particularly well by investing in these is Henderson Smaller Companies Investment Trust. Emma you recently met the manager of this fund so first of all what kind of growth has the fund itself been delivering? It's been delivering really good and consistent growth. It has outperformed its benchmark in 13 of the past 14 financial years and actually looks on track to do that again this year. That's because its half-year results showed its net asset value was up 5.8%, which is more than double its benchmark, which made 2.2% over the same period. Okay, impressive set of numbers. So um, how's this fund been uh, chalking up these uh, handsome returns? Well, one reason is that despite the worries about Brexit, smaller companies had a very good year last year, and that was driven by faster earnings growth. And the trust has also made a number of good stock picking calls. So, for example, its two best performing stocks, stocks during the half year to November were Renanshaw, an engineering company, and NMC Health, a healthcare provider in the Middle East. Renanshaw was up 45% and NMC was up 25% during that time. The t- trust also benefited from not holding Carillion, which, as we all know, um, is now in liquidation. That's obviously past performance um, but as we all know there are a few clouds hanging over the UK so is this good performance likely to continue? You're right and of course we can never be sure but I would say the strong half-year results suggest are a good sign and the manager Neil Herman is feeling quite confident about the prospect of UK smaller companies in general. Why is he confident on UK smaller companies? He says it's because generally UK smaller companies are in much better um, financial shape than you would think, despite all the anxiety about the macroeconomic picture. And he also thinks that there are potential opportunities for increased M&A, mergers and acquisitions activity, which his holdings might benefit from. So he's very bullish on that. Is there anything that he's not so bullish on? 
Yes, there are. He's not particularly keen on very domestically focused companies like general retailers, as he thinks they could be more vulnerable to a UK economic downturn than companies with that more international focus. But nevertheless, he's not totally avoiding them. He does own some specific retailers. And actually, he says that he's not avoiding any particular area of the market. Okay. Now, um, Darius, Neil Herman seems very bullish in UK smaller companies. Um, Would you agree with him? Are you as optimistic as he is? Well, the first thing to say about smaller companies is there are several several thousand stocks. So... um, Unlike sort of managers who concentrate in the FTSE 100 where, you know, you've got 100 stocks or maybe slightly more to pick from, you know, you, you, you've got a wide set of opportunity. Uh, again, Emma's broadly touched on the fact about some of the uh, small companies actually, while it's, they may be listed in the UK, actually bear very little relevance to the outlook for the UK, that healthcare stock, for instance, NMC. It's a, it's a Middle Eastern private healthcare company. What happens after Brexit will surely bear no relevance on their ability to, to continue to grow their earnings. That's a very stock-specific issue. In fact, I seen a manager yesterday and from Standard Life and she had half her portfolio in small caps actually with overseas earnings focus. So you can invest in this area. Most people think smaller companies, very domestic, mm, larger companies, very overseas. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a broad brush, that is fair. But there is decent parts of the smaller companies market where you can actually get overseas exposure and potentially Brexit-proof some of the, the concerns that we may have in the UK economy in the years ahead. Well, bearing that in mind then, how serious a threat do you think Brexit is to UK smaller companies overall? Well, if we sort of start that the, the UK economy is likely to have some form of reaction, uh, a negative one at that, I don't suppose any of us still knows a year away from Brexit what that will look like, what trade will look like. Um, and I think it's uncertainty which leaves smaller companies uh, vulnerable, um, where especially if they do trade overseas, what will those agreements look like? Will there be tariffs? So those would be obvious concerns, but I don't think that would be just a smaller company issue. I think it would be a broader UK trade issue, but I think smaller companies would be more vulnerable in that sort of area. If there is a, a domestic slowdown, certainly smaller companies which are focused, i.e. they sell or make products for the UK market in one part of the value chain or another, would be likely to um, have a bit of a wobble, I'd suggest. But I, you know, I, just the question mark over what trade in UK looks like post-Brexit, I still think is very uncertain. I mean, in view of that uncertainty and in view of that potential risk, do you think investors should avoid UK smaller companies and the funds which invest in them? Well, you could have very easily said the same thing this time last year, and miraculously, smaller companies absolutely smashed pretty much every other part of the market, and UK smaller companies at that. Um, I think timing markets is really for the brave or, or potentially the stupid. Yeah, you know, what, what, I, what, <laughs> yes, what, what we're trying to talk about yeah. is long-term mm-hmm. savings need via SIPs, ISAs, pensions. And I think having exposure to smaller companies broadly is something that almost all investors should have some exposure to. They're the fastest part of growing part of markets. The, there's a huge amount of stocks to pick from and they're under-researched part of the, parts of the market. And what you often find, particularly in the small company sector, is that the average smaller company over one, three, five, ten years will actually substantially outperform its benchmark. And that's the average. Mm. Uh, You've highlighted a trust that's uh, got superior returns or several 
uh, open-ended funds that have superior returns. Things like Unicorn, Living Bridge or Lion Trust have all outperformed over long periods of time. And I say even the average smaller company fund tends to beat the benchmark, which shows that actually there's real good stock pickers in that sector. OK, so with that in mind, you flagged a few names. What funds specifically would you use to get exposed to UK small companies? Well, so there are some really well-known small com- company managers and whilst they get plenty of airtime, as I say, there's a couple I'd like to highlight are sort of Living Bridge and uh, Lion Trust. The Lion Trust team, I think, is well known for running the Lion Trust Special Sits, which I think fund we discussed here on podcast a couple of weeks ago. Mm. That's a very well-established team and their process of looking for quality businesses with repeating income is very good. Living Bridge, less well-known, but they're probably more well-known as a business because they run all the Barons Mead VCTs. They've got huge team and experience um, on this fund run by Ken Wooten. So it's a less well-known, but he avoids the parts of the market that they can't understand. They avoid anything. There's a lot of miners and E&P stocks in small cap. Uh, he doesn't do any of those. He can't work out what their values are and it very binary bets on what happens to the copper price or the oil price or whether they find copper or oil. So he concentrates on businesses they think they can understand with specialities in things like technology and healthcare and it's long-term i think it's eight years old now funds outperformed uh, got really good long-term track record so that's maybe a new one for for the listeners today and you can also read about how neil herman picks quality growth companies in this week's issue of investors chronicle and the website sticking with the uk emma has also been looking at some highly rated equity income funds can you tell us a bit more Yes, I've been looking at a list of top-rated UK equity income funds produced by the private wealth manager Sandlam, and they do this list twice a year. It ranks investment association equity income funds according to various quantitative criteria. These include the amount of income a fund generates over five years, its growth over five years, and how much volatility the fund displayed over that five-year period. Okay, so which funds does Sandlam um, rate highly then? The fund atop the list this time was LF Mitten UK Multicap Income, run by Gervais Williams and Martin Turner. And it's actually the third time in a row that this fund has come out on top of Sandlam's whitelist. And that's because of its consistently good performance and its high ranking dividend yield compared with its peers. So currently the fund yields 4% and it has an ongoing charge of 0.81%. Okay, and does Sanlam's um, study on equity income funds just flag up for good funds? No, it doesn't. It also includes information on funds where performance has been temporarily poor. Um, This could be because the funds manager invests via an out-of-favour style or the fund is showing early warning signs of decline, and they would be part of its grey list. Grey list, okay. For funds which the the Sanlam considers are consistent poor performers, they are featured on its blacklist. Okay, so that's kind of obvious. That's the baddies. Mm. <laughs> and the white list is the goodies. So what's the grey list and what would be an example of a fund on it? Well, the grey list is of those funds which performance has been temporarily poor. And one example from this um, time of study was Unicorn UK Income, which fell out of the white list and into the grey list this time. So this fund focuses on smaller mid-cut companies and it was dragged down into the grey list by the fact that it tends to be more volatile than its peers. Okay, but generally it is a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good performing fund, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um, so despite its periods of volatility, the fund makes very good long-term returns. And it's actually among the top performers in the UK equity income sector over all periods of one, three and five years. So I don't think that investors should necessarily be avoiding it just because it's fallen into Sandlin's grey list this time. 
of oil, it might be better suited for people who have um, a longer term horizon so they can stomach that volatility. Darius, what are your feelings on UK equity income at the moment? Is it a good source of income? Yeah, Emma's mentioned a couple of funds with Unicorn and um, Mighton and um, the one thing that they do in common is smaller companies. And as we've just been discussing, smaller companies have had a very good track record, particularly over the last five years. So those are firms that specialise in those areas and they have A, outperformed, but B, I think average UK investor will have had, if they held UK income funds, would have had exposure to the well-known names and the bigger funds uh, like Artemis and Jupiter and Invesco. You know, they're funds which have historically focused on large cap. And if you owned those three funds, you might find actually the top tens are moderately similar. And you could actually have big exposure to, say, Shell and HSBC, which if any either of those companies were to have difficulty, um, clearly would affect the dividend on the fund if they cut their dividend. So what we've seen, and I think um, Sandland List shows with a number of other names like um, Marlborough Multicap, Chelverton Income, um, these are all funds that specialise in smaller companies. And then there are things like Standard Life UK Equity Income Unconstrained, which is an excellent fund which actually uses all of the market cap, but typically, well, historically, has never had more than 40% in the large cap and goes across the full range. So that is, I think, a really good core income fund for people to consider. But yes, the small cap funds really have had their day. The methodology on the Sandlam is it's obviously their methodology. Um, I think Emma's pointed out it's got pretty good long-term track record as well, so certainly not one to be avoided, in my opinion. You highlighted the um, smaller companies' funds that focus on income. Because of that, does that mean you are concerned at all that the UK's income haul is largely accounted for by a few large companies? Well, it's, it's something we always have to consider. I mean, a big chunk of UK PLC's dividend is paid by the top 10 and mm. actually the top six. It by pounds and pence. So if if UK companies, let's just round some numbers up, pay a hundred million pounds of dividends, those top six are big, big contributors, like more than half. That doesn't mean you need to own those six companies. Uh, it may well be that they're absolutely the place to be, like 2016, when the large caps were hugely boosted by sterling devaluation following the Brexit vote. Whether you have a sort of a barbell and have a mixture of a fund that you know invests in large cap and a fund that specialises in small cap. Or you go for a multi-cap fund like Standard Life or Man GLG, which invests across the market cap. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Just obviously beware what you're doing. And if you do hold some of the well-known bigger funds, just have an occasional look at the top 10 to make sure you don't have too much exposure to one or two of those stocks, which whilst may be fine, actually, even though they're larger, could actually have more risk to your overall income and your portfolio. That's a really good point. With that in mind, when you are analysing, assessing, what do you look for in a UK equity income fund? So our research does start with quantitative, so we run numbers uh, in a different way than this study. But we then go, we we, we put a a great value on meeting the fund managers uh, and how they run them. And some of the funds in the the Sandland Grey List have a more value tilt, uh, which has not been in favour for the majority of the last five years of the market. So things like Schroeder Income, I mean, they're pretty much deep value managers. Um, in fact, they're actually only on the grey list. It's pretty good. Um, they, you know, the the market staff for pretty much the majority of 2011 onwards has been sort of supporting growing companies and and and, and companies with consistent earnings and not the cyclical, potentially more volatile, but 
you know, when value markets go, they really do very well. So we like to understand the style of the manager. We then try not to take a judgment on which style the market's going to have. It's a bit like our timing issue. I don't know if the value is going to win next year or growth. You can make educated assumptions, but you know, if you can often find those assumptions will be wrong. So whether you have core income or small cap income, as I say, I, I quite like funds that go across the market cap, maybe are less style agnostic, um, like the standard life UK could income constrained, they can actually go and find businesses wherever they may be. And one of the things that the manager there, Thomas Moore, has been concerned about actually is the dividend cover in the larger part of the market. And that's one of the main reasons that's driven him to sort of having a decent chunk of his portfolio historically in mid and small size companies where not only are they paying a decent yield, but he believes he's going to get that yield in the coming years. So that's also important. Okay, so um, that's the good things. What makes you turn away from a UK equity income fund? This is always the harder part of any fund selection. Consistent underperformance is, is, is an obvious first thing. Managers who say one thing and do another. One of the questions we ask is which type of market would you expect your style to perform well in and which type of market would you expect your style not to perform well in? And a manager who does well when we wouldn't expect them to is actually equally a bit of as much as a red flag as, as the other way round. So managers that do have a more value style and equity income would favour value because um, you know, it's sort of a bit more of a contrarian style when you're looking for higher yielding stocks. And so I say va- va- value hasn't been in favour in the market. So, you know, just having that understanding of what a manager does, say they do, it is an art and a science. And, you know, hopefully we have some of the skills that, that, that you need, but actually quantifying isn't easy and, and statistics obviously help. And, and studies like the Sandlam, you know, they focus on volatility and the actual yield. So if, if you want lower volatility and good yield, then their methodology is is strong. If you want more consistent performance and understanding funds that do well in different climates, then there are other sources like our own website at Fund Calibre. Now, you mentioned the Standard Life Equity Income Fund. Are there any other UK equity income funds that you'd flag as good examples? Another one that I briefly touched on is the MAN GLG fund. Uh, That came under the stewardship of Henry Dixon and his team. Henry definitely has a value, certainly a value bias, and actually the fact that his fund has done so well, it's because he has just been a really good stock picker. And when we've met with him recently, we were able to ask, why, given your style, have you been able to, to, to stay near the top of the charts? And, you know, he looks for businesses that are broadly undervalued, but that doesn't mean you know that they're not good businesses and some of them have had some you know some really good good shares and you know stock picking is a, is a, is a great skill and that that's a standout fund another fund which has been on a buy list at Chelsea for a very long time and actually you know, gives good long-term track record with dividend growth in almost every year apart from 2009 is something like Rathbone income Carl again is pretty much sort of a multi-cap fund manager Carl Stick it won't perform well every year. Again, a bit more of a value style. But if you look at the numbers, and there's not many managers who've run funds for 15 years, um, you'll see that he's very much in the top quartile, but gives you this good, steady, growing income off of his fund. So it depends on quite your need. Lots of investors UK use UK income with dividends reinvested as growth. So just because it's got income on the badge doesn't necessarily mean that a lot all investors take that income. Thank you, Darius. Some really good suggestions again. And see this week's funds news to see which other funds made it into Sandlum's latest whitelist. 
That brings us to the end of today's show, but you can read more on financial funds, Henderson Smaller Companies Investment Trust and UK Equity Income Funds in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.